Welcome to Engaging History. My name is Christopher Kinsella, author of Chain of Deception. I'm a professor of history at Cuyahoga Community College in Northeast Ohio. My podcasts are not endorsed by any individual or organization. This podcast is my opinion and interpretation of the historical events that I will discuss. The purpose of the podcasts are in general to discuss American and world history in a way that engages you and explains so much of the country and the world around you. But I also discuss it in a way that is understandable and interesting. We continue with the 43rd podcast in our series on the second half of American history. In the 42nd podcast, we reviewed the continuing events in the Cold War with the creation of NASA in 1958 as a result of the Soviets launching Sputnik just a year earlier in October of 1957. We did a quick look at what it took to get 3,000 tons of steel and astronauts off of the ground. From there, we also then looked at the early life of President John F. Kennedy, and after his election and win in 1960, defeating Republican Vice President Richard Nixon, we then did a quick reality check because memory sometimes is better than reality, especially when we lose a president to an assassin's bullet. So we looked at the three presidential errors, crucial errors in his presidency that happened on his watch, the Bay of Pigs, the Vienna Summit, and the rising or the building of the Berlin Wall. And we looked at what the results of that were and why the United States, under the leadership of our 35th president, was looking so weak. So we continue now with our 43rd podcast, looking at the culmination of those three presidential failures with the, no surprise, Soviets feeling confident now that they can go ahead and put nuclear missiles literally at our doorstep right off of the tip of Florida in the independent country of Cuba. Even though Fidel Castro, the leader of Cuba, was more or less a puppet government for the Soviets, that didn't negate the fact that reconnaissance photos earlier in October and in September of 1962 had confirmed that extensive earth-moving work was beginning with the outlines of what would become the infrastructure to support and house nuclear missiles. When reconnaissance photos confirmed this, and experts agreed and alerted the president, his hand was forced that something needed to be done. He could not simply allow the Soviet Union to place nuclear missiles so close to American soil. Please know, just a quick reality check here, yes, nuclear missiles placed that close to the United States clearly could have reached American soil faster than coming from the Soviet Union. However, the increase in time that it would take from the Soviet Union versus the decrease of missiles coming from Cuba was, in the grand scheme of things, almost inconsequential. 
there would be very little any American could do to prepare for the oncoming nuclear holocaust and nuclear winter that would follow, whether the missiles were coming from the other side of the world in the Soviet Union or from the tip of off the tip of Florida from the island nation of Cuba. But it certainly was making America once again look even weaker by using and placing humankind's most terrifying weapon ever produced so close to American soil. The young president was distraught at what he thought were very limited, if any, military options as a result. His first option presented by the United States Air Force was an air raid that as the building of these silos would continue to take place, that the United States Air Force would bomb those facilities and forcing their hand to continually try to rebuild them. The problem is, is that clearly would be occupying independent nations' airspace. Secondly, there's no way that the Air Force could rule out that independent civilians might be injured and or killed as a result of the air raid bombings. So that option was thrown to the side burner. Next, as put forth by the United States Navy, would be a naval invasion in order again to occupy those future missile sites and destroy them with the least amount of casualties possible. However, the legacy and negative memory of the Bay of Pigs, just literally a year and a half earlier, was too fresh on the Kennedy administration's mind, which is the reason why the naval invasion went to the back burner. But what other options were there? Outside of using the Air Force and the Navy, whether the Navy was going could transport the United States Army or the Navy transport the United States Army, it seemed as though that Kennedy's options were limited to those two. That was until Kennedy consulted a group of gentlemen that had been advising every American president going back to Franklin Roosevelt, a group called the Wise Men, led by Chairman John J. McCloy, who presented the option of a quarantine. It would keep the United States out of independent nations' waters. It would not interfere with their airspace. And we could check all shipping going in and out of that quarantine to be sure that it wasn't having anything to do with the production of nuclear missile silos. That would be the quarantine. In other words, a red line would be drawn around the Cuban islands, or island nation, preventing the Soviet Union from transporting more military hardware to Cuba. On the surface, the options seemed great until Kennedy asked the deadly question, what if they cross that line? What's my response? And that's when Chairman John J. McCloy, speaking for the wise men, said, that's up to him to figure out. We're not going to provide that answer. Let them worry about what the results would be. And Kennedy, clearly airing his frustration, screamed, well, what would my options be? And as McCloy responded at the time, we will cross that bridge or cross that line when and if we get there. But make Khrushchev wonder if it's worth risking 
nuclear weapons technology, hardware, and infrastructure to cross that line that we are drawing in international waters around Cuba. This is what began what became known as the 13 infamous days of October 1962. You can read quite a bit more about that in a book called, uh, no surprise, The Chairman, written by Professor Kai Bird, that's first name K-A-I and last name B-I-R-D, who wrote in The Chairman about this account, much less the kind of influence that this group of advisors had so heavily weighed on American presidents. There's nothing wrong with American presidents having groups of advisors. However, this group was not beholden to the general public. They were not elected, yet they held still a tremendous amount of influence over presidential thinking. That said, I had tried for years to try to obtain a book called, that book called The Chairman, with absolutely no luck. For a variety of reasons, the book just always seemed unaccessible, unavailable to buy. And mind you, this is before the days of Amazon and online buying, but I simply couldn't get my hands on it. That was until one particular fall semester. At the end of the semester, a student came up to me that had taken me for four classes by that point and handed me a very large gift bag and said, Professor, Merry Christmas. And before I could even turn and look in the bag, the student was gone. With that, another student immediately came up with their final exam and handed it to me. And I had then forgotten about that gift bag. I waited until the rest of the students handed in their exams. And from there, I collected the exams and then remembered the gift bag sitting next to my chair and I looked down and opened it up and let out literally a guttural moan or, or muffled scream when I realized that the, that the gift was a book none other than the chairman. So I quickly throw the book back in the bag. I run out to the car. I drive home and I run into the house to relatively still newlywed wife. And I said, honey, honey, you can't believe it. Look what, us, look what one of my students gave me as a gift at the end of the semester here. And she says, no, no, a Christmas gift came for you, but I can't wait until Christmas because I know you've wanted it so long. Let me give it to you. And with that, she puts her hand in her own bag. I put my hand in the gift bag and we both pull out two copies of the chairman. The unfortunate look on her face was priceless, thinking that she had obtained for me the book that I had sought for so long, only to find out a student had beat her to the punch literally only a couple of hours before. But it is a considerable read. It is a very thick book, but it is so telling about events that unfolded throughout the middle to latter half of the 20th century. Getting back here to the quarantine around the island nation of Cuba, the Soviet ships were steaming ahead westbound through the international waters of the Atlantic Ocean. Once the quarantine was in place and communicated through our diplomats to the Soviet Union, that there would be dire consequences if Soviet ships crossed that line. The ships were then seen through Air Force reconnaissance 
were seen to slow down and then eventually stop and after breathtaking stillness slowly turned around the crisis had passed the soviet union would not be installing nuclear missiles in the island nation of cuba after all but the fact that khrushchev quote unquote blinked is only part of the end results kennedy also blinked in his own way as he secretly agreed to remove jupiter missiles the nuclear missiles that the americans were using at that time we secretly agreed to remove those from territories that were very close to the soviet union at the end of the day in the final analysis both world leaders blinked would it be any surprise within a matter of the next couple of years one of those world leaders would be forced into an early retirement the other would have his head blown off in front of his own people when i put it that crassly i would wonder i would like to know and i wonder how many of my listeners especially in the united states my american listeners when i phrased it so crassly like that about the career ending events of both of those world leaders how many american listeners automatically assumed that it would be kennedy forced into early retirement and khrushchev having his head blown off in front of his own people with the way that the soviet union oftentimes took care of people that had endangered the soviet union yet in fact it was the other way around khrushchev was the one forced into early retirement kennedy would be assassinated 13 months later and that's then what leads us to the next event in this podcast uh, episode which is the transition from the kennedy administration to the lyndon baines johnson administration the event of course that precipitated this was the assassination of president kennedy in dallas texas in 1963. the question at the time begged would this be a continuation of what became known as the zero year curse or the 20 year presidential curse with that i'm going to end this podcast in a relatively short episode length of only roughly 14 minutes because i would like to designate then the next episode of a full 30 minutes roughly to the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So thank you for listening. If you have any questions, feel free to go to my website, ceconsolid.com, and email me with your questions, comments, or especially book recommendations. If you like what was discussed today as well, please leave me a review through the uh, modem or medium that you are listening to this podcast. So thanks again for listening. Have a great day. 